Let me invite you now to uh, open your copies of uh, that book that we consider to be inerrant to um, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read you one verse, verse 23, in just a minute. But I want to make an announcement about um, this class that I uh, offer twice a year. Uh, It's one time in January, the other time in July. And this is just the end of April, and I'm talking about a July class. And let me, let me explain why. It's a systematics class. It's an, it's, it's an introduction to systematic theology, and if you're interested in it, we would love to include you. It doesn't cost you a dime, but you've got to commit for eight hours, four hours on one Saturday, four hours the very next Saturday. So uh, two chunks of time on successive Saturdays. The re, and, and it's going to be July the 16th and the, the 15th and the 22nd, or the dates are in there. The reason I'm announcing it now um, is to make another announcement. Um, uh, I have been invited to uh, pastor a little church in um, Baku. Now, you know where Baku is. Everybody travels to Baku. Um, Baku um, is the capital of Azerbaijan, which is a Muslim nation on the Caspian Sea. Um, and there's a little, little small Christian church in Baku. Um, and I'm going to fill that pulpit for five weeks. That's, that's all. Um, but it's the five weeks that I would normally be pushing systematics, the class. So um, uh, I'm going to go and, you know, it's just like the Lord. You know, if you know me, you know I have struggles with uh, the whole uh, world of Islam um, and it's just like him to put me right in the middle of it, um, which he has seen fit to do for five weeks. It's, um, uh, it's a small little struggling, uh, uh, and, and I say persecuted church, uh, persecuted in the sense that, I mean, no, no one has died there yet, but the government keeps trying to shut them down and move them around and close them down, et cetera, and they, they, they keep going. So I'm going to be there for uh, five Sundays. And as I said, those are the Sundays. So all of that to say, if you're interested in that systematics class, go ahead and sign up now. Um, it's two Saturdays, as I said. It's right in the heat of the summer. Um, you know, you can't get outside. It's too hot. And we air conditioned the classroom. Uh, so uh, uh, come be with us if you've never done it before. I think you'll find it at least stimulating um, and um, free of charge. <laughs> Hope you'll consider it. Now, let me read you my text, one verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word endures forever and ever and ever. Guys, one of the things that you pay me for is to study. And um, I I have called myself a paid book reader. But when I study, I I find things, I read things, I hear things, I uh, discover things. And in turn, those things that I discover and learn uh, make this series longer. And and I hope you don't mind, um, but there was just something in this verse 
that I didn't want us to miss because I think it's huge. I think it's big. I think it's big for us as the people of God. And I'll tell you what that is in a minute. I just didn't want to jump over this whole thing. Um, If I say to you, Moses, everybody says, well, yeah, I know Moses. Uh, You know, everybody knows Moses. I'm no dummy, Dr. Young. You know, I I saw the movie, you know. Um, But if I say Amram and Jochebed, the response is a little bit different. Uh, Amram and who? I mean, is that, a, is that the name of a new salad? Uh, I, I don't know who Amram and Jochebed are. Well, let me tell you who they are. They were a son and a daughter in the tribe of Levi who marry. Um, they have three children. Uh, they have one girl and two boys. Uh, their daughter is named Miriam. Their oldest son is named Aaron, and their, um, their youngest son is Moses. They are the parents of, um, of Moses. Now, guys, admittedly, this paragraph, uh, starting at verse 23 through 28, this paragraph is about Moses. But this sentence... This one verse, verse 23, is not about Moses. It's about Moses' parents. And if they're not named here. They're not named um, in Hebrews 11. Nor are they named when the event took place, which is back in Exodus 2. But they are named. They're named in Numbers chapter 26 and verse 59. So whereas the paragraph is about Moses, this sentence is about his parents and something that they did. (laughs) We kind of all know what Moses did, or at least part of what Moses did. But I wonder if you know what Amram and Jochebed did, because it's it's pretty impressive, and and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Gang, um, all of chapter 11, uh, um, Hebrews chapter 11, according to this chapter, God evaluates people on, based on one criterion. Um, he has one measuring rod, one ruler that he uses to measure us. And it, that ruler, thankfully, is not behavior. Boo, if it were, we would be in trouble, would it not? But the ruler by which he measures is faith. If you look at, remember back in verse 6 of chapter 11, and without faith, it's it's impossible to please God. You know, you you go back to the life of Jesus and... and, um, He's, he taught on, on one occasion, a couple of occasions actually, that, the, that faith the size of a mustard seed, that means a small faith, uh, even a small faith can be, um, can, can move mountains. Um, he rebukes small faith, 
he says, um, O ye of little faith. But he never rejects it. Um, what we're after as the people of God is more faith. We'd like more of that stuff, and God delights to give it. But normally, the way that he gives it is not something that we particularly enjoy. <laughs> the way that he normally gives, no, the way that he normally grows us in faith is through pain, through some kind of trial. And it's, and it's in that setting where faith, faith normally enlarges and, and develops. And that's what you see in this particular event that we're going to look at this morning. Um, gang, it is faith that is the soul of any holy act Hebrews chapter 11 is not celebrating the acts, the A-C-T-S things. It's celebrating the faith that spawned them, those, those holy acts. God, God gives faith, God accepts faith, God saves through faith, God keeps through faith, he sanctifies through faith. Um... And, and you and I are not to find life in the gospel by faith and then grow it by law. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> it is faith that is the currency in heaven, that is valued in heaven. So, what is the act that is spawned by faith that is being celebrated here in verse 23. Do you see it? It is an act of civil disobedience. It is an act of defiance of one's government. You remember back in Acts chapter 5 and um, uh, Peter uh, has been arrested and he appears before the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin tells him to shut up and don't talk like that anymore, don't talk about this Jesus anymore. Remember what his reply was? It's in Acts chapter 5, I think it's verse 29, and, and um, Peter says, um, I hear what you're saying guys, but I got to obey God and not man. Some of you might know, um, we just had a weekend a men's conference with Innovation Church, the, the um, African-American church that, that we helped start out, out in Frazier. And, and we, we were talking about racial issues and racial tensions. And, and um, uh, if you want to Google this, you can find it. Um, it's a letter written by Martin Luther King. I think it's called um, The Letter from Prison. Or, or from a prison in Birmingham, or something like that. It's, it's, it'll pop up. Um, but in that letter, um, he says, to his reading audience, he says that unjust laws, unjust laws have to be disobeyed. The specifics of what Amram and Jochebed did 
is that they, they hid their newborn son, who they named Moses. Um, they hid him for three months. They hid a baby for three months. How do you do that? I mean, you might think that, well, I mean, it's maternal instinct um, um, that would drive that act. Um, it's really um, no big deal. Um, oh, I, I would say it's a big deal, all right, what, what they did. And um, that's why I wanted to separate verse 23 from the rest of that paragraph. And what I want to show you with the rest of my time with you is uh, just what makes it such a big deal. Because it's a big deal. Um, but before I get to that, i got to clear away a thorn in the side of this text. If you look at it, verse 23, I was hidden for three months uh, by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Oh my goodness how much criticism this text has gotten just because of that statement. They hid him because this child was beautiful. Um, as if they gave the, this, um, uh, the, the, the thing that gave rise to this, to this heroic defiance of their government is that their child was beautiful. Um, as if Amram said to Jochebed, hey, honey, look, we got a beautiful baby. Why don't we save that baby? I mean, if we got an ugly one, we'd kill it. But, you know, we got a beautiful one. Why don't we save it? You know, years ago, uh, I mean, it's got to be 30, 40 years ago, before terrorist attacks occurred, this deranged man takes a rifle up into a bell tower in Chicago. Some of you might remember it. And um, he shot and killed, and I forget how many. It was three or five nurses that he shot in, in Chicago and, and killed them. Um, and I remember, as a, as a young man, uh, hearing a radio broadcast about this, this uh, tragic event in, in Chicago. And I hear, remember one of the radio broadcasts said, uh, broadcasters, whether he was quoting somebody or he was saying, I forget, but what he said was, to this effect, he said, to make this even more tragic, they were all very cute girls. What are you saying? Uh, are, are you saying that if they had been less cute, it would have been less tragic? Come on now. Surely you've you got to see how idiotic that is. But my point is that's what Amram and Jochebed are being accused of. That they saved their baby because he was cute. Um, and had he been not cute, they would have thrown him to the crocodiles in the Nile River. You see, guys, when people come to verse 23, they concentrate on that. They miss what went on, and they talk about, you know, the baby being beautiful. Gang, let me just kind of quickly, but what set of parents do you know that doesn't think that their newborn is beautiful? I mean, um, I mean, the most beautiful. I mean, grandparents do that. They pull out their pictures and, have you ever seen a baby this beautiful? Oh, no, I say. No, I wasn't more beautiful than anyone I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, um, interestingly, back in the Exodus 2, when the, um, when the event took place, the, the Hebrew word that's translated um, beautiful is the word tob that you find in Genesis 1 when God is creating and he says, and he created the light and it was good. It, 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 um, 
it's pretty much a statement about he's healthy or he's um, um, maybe God has spoken to them that you know it's about time to get a deliverer to get Israel out of Egypt. I don't know. But I can tell you guys it wasn't, oh, honey, we got a nice-looking baby. Let's save that one and throw out the ugly ones. You know, that's um, insanity. But, guys, that doesn't explain why it's a big deal that it requires faith. That's found by asking the question, um, what, um, why did this baby need to be hidden in the first place? You, under, you remember that story? Exodus chapter 2 opens with this statement. It's verse 1. Exodus 2, 1 opens with Joseph is dead. Remember Joseph? He's the one that made them, or helped them go through the seven years of plenty in the seven Joseph is dead. New Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't know who Joseph is. He's gone. Israel expands numerically, and now Israel is viewed as a threat to national security. And so the Pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph, didn't know anybody, all, all that business, he, uh, he uh, uh, produces this edict that um, when baby boys are born to Jewish women, they're to be killed. And thus, the need to hide this baby. And so in an act of civil disobedience, they defy their own government, which was very risky. I mean, um, did that baby never cry? I mean, what about at nighttime when everything's kind of quiet? You know, what about the other two kids that are out in the, play, the playground and they're, they're talking to their friends? Oh, we got a new baby boy. I thought, yeah. But they, they put in harm's way four people, mom, dad, and the two other children. And here's what makes this thing such a big deal, guys. Um, these two parents conquered their fear of the consequences of doing right. They, they conquered their fear of the consequences of doing right. And, and I say to you guys, um, many of us are in, in a similar ongoing struggle to win that same battle right now. How did they do it? <clears throat> By faith. Nothing so quiets the heart as faith. Now, gang, if that all sounds very philosophical to you and very speculative, then let me bring it on over to your neighborhood. You know, uh, how, how, how about this? You're a young Christian teenage woman, and you're told well, if you don't, nobody's going to ever invite you to the prom. In fact, nobody's going to ask you out at all. <laughs> or you're, um, you're a Christian small business owner. And um, you're told, 
you know, you're going <laughs> to you're going to go out of business if you don't cook those books. Just recently, I, I, I um, in the last couple of three months, I met I was brought into the life of a young I don't know he was, he was young twenty low twenties twenty three four whatever very talented kid very uh, an actor singer dancer and he had played in all the local theaters and you know all the uh, you know the the local things and he was he had done a couple of things you know uh, you know regionally and but very talented kid nice looking handsome you know had the kind of physique that I wish I had. Um, which I've never had, by the by. Um, but I mean, just a good-looking kid, and and um, uh, he got his big break. It wasn't on Broadway, and it wasn't off Broadway, but it was close. I mean, literally. Uh, and it was the lead role. But he was going to have to play a part that promoted homosexuality. And he came to me. Poor guy. But what do I do, Dr. Young? They tell me, if I turn this down, my career is over. You call that speculative? I don't. Conquering the fear of the consequences of doing right? You know, the, the example that came to my mind immediately uh, when, when I was dealing with this is Martin Luther. And he's standing in front of the Diet of Verbs in uh, 1521 or 1521, I think. And he's asked to recant of all of his books and... Um, and um, he, um, he refuses to, and you know those famous words, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. Have you ever thought about that? Here I stand. Where is he meaning? Is he standing right there or right over there or right over there? What do you mean, what, here I stand? Do you know where he stood? He stood in the same place that we're asked to stand, ladies and gentlemen, when we are afraid of the consequences of doing right. Could I read you um, listen to this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? How about this one? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and its swelling. Hey, hey, did y'all know this? That's Psalm 46.1. Did you know that Martin Luther's hymn, the greatest hymn called the, the Battle Hymn of the Reformation, was based on that text? Almighty fortress is our God. You know where that came from? Right here. As Martin Luther was dealing with with this fear of the consequences of doing right. Let me read you a line out of the hymn. 
And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. You want to know where he was standing? Squarely on the truth of God. And because of his faith in the statements that God has made to him, he quieted his heart over the fears and the cons- of the consequences of doing right. You know, guys, one of the things, one of the reasons that I didn't want to skip this text is because the Bible never, the Bible never, um, it never condemns us because we're afraid. Particularly the book of Psalms and the writer of the Psalms, and he's talking about my fears have overwhelmed me and all that business. It doesn't condemn us because we're afraid. We're not some kind of substandard Christian entity because we're grappling with our fears. You know, one of the things that Martin Luther said is that the devil always met him at night when he was going to bed. How about you? Does that happen to you? Do the fangs of the evil one get bigger at night? They did for Martin Luther. And they do for Jimmy Young. I'm simply saying the Bible doesn't condemn us because we're afraid. But it does tell us how we cope with our fears. The same way... The same way Amram and Jochebed did. They go find truth. And they stand on it. And nothing quiets the heart more effectively than faith in the truth that God has spoken to us. Guys, I don't know what you're afraid of. This particular instance is is the fear of the consequences of right in the face of my civil government giving me an instruction that I cannot obey. And one of these days, I remember Frankie Schaefer saying this, he said, one of these days, Christians are going to be in the place where we're going to have to defy our civil government. I don't know. But forget that for a moment. What are the other things that are going on right now in your experience where you've got to overcome the fear of the consequences of doing the right thing, making the right choice 
honoring God by believing and choosing to say along with Peter, I got to obey God. I can't obey you. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'd love to. I'd love to because I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be thrown out. I don't want to be put in prison. I don't want any of that. But, you know, ultimately, I got to obey God, not you. Even if I never go to a prom. And even if I never get another part. And even if my business fails. And tonight I'm going to have to wrestle with my own fears of those things. And what is going to quiet my heart then? Faith. Faith and in the same things on which Martin Luther stood and said, I can't do anything else. God has said it to me. I'd love to get around it. But no, no. Here I stand. I can do no other. Here here are two parents who concluded that it was better to die a martyr than to live as a traitor. So why did they defy their government? Or, Or better asked, I think, how did they defy their government? By faith. And that, my friends, is the only way that any of us will ever overcome our fear of the consequences of doing right. Now, let me me point out one other thing real quickly that that makes this statement in verse 23 a big deal. Um, I I guess you can see, can't you, that the whole history of redemption is riding upon Amram and Jochebed? Um, the, the future of God's covenant people depends on this set of parents hiding their child. R- wrapped up in that child is the whole history of God's saved people. But in their way was a godless government and a vicious, God-hating culture And lo and behold, in about 80 years, that God-hating government and the culture associated with it was lying at the bottom of the Red Sea because a mom and a dad quieted their hearts. By faith. They, um, they took the promises of God and they built their lives on them and they refused to allow their culture to dictate to them how they would behave. Wow. <laughs> In my book, that's a big deal. One other thing, and I'm done. 
you know, there was another set of parents who was threatened by their government, um, a government that sought to kill their baby. They fled to Egypt. And they took the new, the, their newborn son, Jesus Christ, with them. And that baby went on to die on a cross as a savior for sinners. And that savior of sinners is the savior of this sinner. How did that happen? By faith. Because you see, apart from faith, it is impossible to please this God. Our Father, I I do pray that you will um, quiet the hearts of your people, that they might find the same place to stand where Martin Luther stood, where Amram and Jochebed stood, and countless other, where Peter stood, and countless other Christians have stood over the ages, simply knowing what you've said, um, digging their nails into the side of the wall, and holding on as their fears um, sought to overwhelm them, fears of the consequences of doing right. Would you enable us, O God, to uh, have a heart that's expanding and growing in faith such that we might accomplish an act similar to this but spawned by the same faith. Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you, would you explain to them by your spirit that the only way that any of us are going to be reconciled to you is through faith faith in jesus christ that it is not behavior by which we are measured but it is by our relationship to the savior that we are measured we um, ask all of this of course in jesus name